Turn to Matthew chapter 13, verse 31 is where we're going to be. I warned him earlier. I said, if you mess with me, I do have the microphone. Just remember that. He was warned. So we're going to look at the parable of the mustard seed and the yeast. It's a quick parable. Uh, We should be out of here fairly quickly. I'm a preacher, though, so you probably shouldn't trust that uh, because we tend to talk a lot. So parable of the mustard seed is in Matthew chapter 13. Jesus continues on as he's telling parables throughout this entire chapter and tells a parable that goes something like this. Because he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. Now remember, the parable is a story that can be true or not. This is a true story. People planted mustard seeds. It has a, a meaning. It's, a, it's an earthly story with a, more of a spiritual or heavenly meaning. So we're trying to dig into this and figure out what is, what is Jesus talking about here. That's a mustard seed. You guys maybe seen them before. They're not uh, terribly large. And the point of the story is exactly that, right? Jesus says you plant a mustard seed. It's this tiny little thing that it's hard to even see. Yet you plant it, and it turns into something much, much larger. Right? He said the kingdom of heaven is like that, like that little mustard seed. Man takes it, plants it in a garden, and yet it, it grows to a size in which birds can actually land in it. Now mustard trees... Or it's more like a bush, doesn't really grow that, they don't grow huge, probably between five and ten feet tall at the most, but plenty big enough. There's one in Israel that a, a bird can land in and, and perch. And so you think about it, we, pl- we plant things, you guys plant things all the time. You have a garden, if you work in agriculture, you plant stuff all the time, and it's not really all that shocking for us. But when you think about it, you take this little bitty thing, and you put it in the ground, you fertilize it, you water it, and out sprouts something. Right? And if you guys have your own gardens, you know you've worked your tails off to weed it and to make sure it's watered like it's supposed to and has all the nutrients it needs. And then this thing grows from it. And it's kind of, I mean, it's, it's pretty astonishing if you think about it. We're so used to it that it doesn't shock us all that much. But you think of that, that that little bitty mustard seed could grow into that. A tree like that. And Jesus says the kingdom of heaven, kingdom he's trying to bring about through his ministry, is like that. It's this small little thing that's going to take root and it's going to grow. Remember, he's telling this to his disciples, not just the people that are hearing him, not the people that come to listen to him, but his followers as well. That Hey, remember, the kingdom of heaven is like this. He continues in this parable and compares the kingdom to something else as well. Verse 33 he says, He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Now, that's a big batch of bread. I'm not a bread maker, but holy smokes, right? That's not, not something that a normal person would just make, right? You have a special occasion. But for those of you who make bread, I'm not one of those people, so I Googled the recipe. Here it is. I double-checked with my wife to make sure it was correct because you can't always trust the Internet. The point of the story is do you need much yeast for, to make a, lo- a whole bunch of bread? Well, that's the point of the story. Yeast is a pretty powerful little thing. It's, it's, it's pretty wild that it's, it's alive, right, that the culture's in it. It's pretty shocking. I don't know if that bread recipe is good or not. I didn't make it. I just got it off Google. I'm just being honest with you. So don't try it. You might want to double check. The point of it is at the very bottom, all you need is one and a half teaspoons of yeast. For all, this makes one and a half to two pounds 
of bread. See, the, par- the parable, this one is actually fairly simple. Some of the ones we looked at so far have been fairly difficult. Jesus takes two things that are small, but go a long ways, right? Do something big and large. And what he's telling his disciples is that the kingdom of heaven, God's kingdom, what Jesus is trying to bring to earth is like these two things. It's like a mustard seed, and it's like a little bit of yeast that's worked all the way through this dough that can make all this, all this bread. And it's true. If you think about it, Jesus told this story nearly 2,000 years ago to a ragtag group of people, his disciples. I don't know if you've studied much about them. Uh, they weren't the brightest or the sharpest or the best at, at probably anything. Fairly young, 20s and 30s maybe. They're pretty eclectic in their group. There's one guy who wants to throw the, overthrow the government. There's another guy who Matthew, who was a tax collector who worked for the government, collect taxes. Nobody likes those people. Sorry if you're a tax collector. You're not popular on the list. Some fishermen, right? Guys who worked with their hands their whole life. Just a group of, of people that you probably wouldn't have gathered all together at once. But the fact that they all had jobs in their society meant that they weren't the smartest. They weren't the best. The smartest and the best would have continued on to school and would become a rabbi, a teacher. And, and they hadn't. They went home and learned their family trade. They weren't the greatest and the best. They're from this little country in the middle of nowhere in, in a Roman Empire that is vast and great. Right? People that, that were, were delegates from Rome that came there got sent there normally because they'd gotten in trouble somewhere else and they'd done something wrong. So they said, well, you guys are going to go there because we kind of want to forget about you. Jesus' disciples aren't anything special. Jesus is. So he chooses them, not because of their qualifications, but because they're willing. And he changes the world with them. And all of them, except John, are going to give their lives on Jesus' behalf. They're not the smartest, not the best, but they're faithful. What Jesus is asking of us is the same. You don't have to be the smartest or the best or the prettiest. You just need to be faithful. So Jesus tells this, these parables about something small turning into something big. That's the point, right? That's the point I get from it. The mustard seed turns into a tree. A little bit of yeast works its way through. And can you imagine what 100 pounds of dough looks like to make bread? And here we are nearly 2,000 years later. The largest religion in the world is what? It's Christianity. Jesus took a bunch of nobodies and turned them into somebody. And here we are today. Because of them and the faithful generations that came after them that continued the message of hope and love and forgiveness and grace and compassion and mercy. And so Jesus' parable isn't just a parable, it's a prophecy. It says, guys, this kingdom that you guys are going to be a part of as it's, as it's finding its beginning is going to be really big. Despite all the odds against it, as you've read the stories, you've heard it, as the first Christians came about, right, they're, they're being killed, they're being persecuted for their faith, and that continues for the first couple hundred years of church history as the people 
outside of the church are trying to exterminate them, trying to get rid of them as fast as they possibly can, and it doesn't work. Matter of fact, the more that they're persecuted, we learn about Christians, the more they grow. If you want to look today where the church is growing the most, where is it growing the most? Places where it's persecuted. It doesn't make any sense. The church grows the most when, when, when people are trying to kill it. People are trying to get rid of it. And it grows faster and grows stronger. There are stories of the early church fathers, those who came right after these generations of people, who saw Christians being taken away to be killed and said, I want in. And you're thinking to yourself, are, is there some, are you okay? Is there something wrong with you, maybe? But they looked at these people that, that, that believed in something so much that they said it was worth dying for and said, I have to, I got to be a part of that. There's something to it. So Jesus takes this little group of 12 men, one of them who's a traitor, and he changes the world with them. So the parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the yeast is about us here today. That we are, we're the fruit of all their hard labor. That today there's over a billion of us on planet earth who hold tightly to this name of Jesus. Who believe he is the way, he's the truth, and he's the life. That our hope is found only in him. That he is the only one who can forgive all of our sins, and man, are they many. And he's it. This parable ends like this. It says, Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. Was making them use their, their brains. So it was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. This is out of the book of Psalms. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. Jesus is bringing about something that has been planned since the very beginning. If you read the Gospel of John, how does it start? Well, the Word becomes flesh and dwells among us. And the Word was there all along since the beginning of the world. As a matter of fact, he participated in it. He's been there. See, so this Jesus, he's it. He's the one. All our hope, our faith, all our trust has been placed solely and completely in him. And what he does in our lives is he takes our brokenness, takes, he can take even our sin, no matter how great or small it might be, he will change us and he will transform us and he will make us new day by day. Every day. No matter what you think you're great at or not so great at, whether it's large or small, God can take it and he can turn it into something magnificent. That's what our God is so great at, is our God can take even our our worst days, even our greatest mistakes, and he can flip them and turn them on their head and help us become a blessing to somebody else who struggles with the same thing. Because our God has always brought dead things back to life. That's what he does. That's what his kingdom's always been about, as Jesus talks about it. What do you do with a seed? Jesus tells us a parable about a mustard seed. So when you plant it, what do you do with the seed? You bury it. You take a seed, and it's not going to be any good in your hand, or if you just throw it on the ground. So what do we do to it? We take that seed and we bury it in the ground. And then what happens with it? Yeah, it comes back to life. See, that's the story of his kingdom. He brings dead things back to life.
including us. The Apostle Paul told us that we are dead in our trespasses and our sins until we meet this Jesus. See, for Paul and Jesus and many of the first Christians, they believed that you weren't really alive until you met this risen Jesus. That life is real life. True life is found only in him. And they were right. And they're still right. If you haven't made Jesus the the Lord and Savior of your life, I'm not quite sure what you're waiting for. He's it. He's the only one that we can count on every day. All those around us are going to, we're going to fail each other from time to time. I'll fail you, I'm sure it's going to happen. He's the only one that doesn't. And his promises have always been and will always be good. He promised that he'd never leave us. He'd never forsake us. His ears are always open and attentive to us. At any point, we can cry out to him and he's there. He's also the only one who offers us the hope of life everlasting, isn't he? So you remember Jesus started this parable with telling us, reminding us that this kingdom is the kingdom of heaven. It's a kingdom that he, he rules that goes the way he wants it to go. And the description we get of heaven in the book of Revelation is a, is a wonderful description of a place where there's no more sin or death or crying or mourning or pain, as, as John tells us, because the old order of things has passed away. It's dead. It's been brought back to new life, found only in him. So if you haven't yet put your faith in him, just think about it. Think about it. It's a decision you will never, ever regret. I can promise you that. It won't be easy. If someone's ever told you being a Christian is easy, they lied to you. It's not going to be easy. The promise is that it's worth it. It's worth it. It's the best life to live. If heaven's never mentioned in the Bible, I'm telling you guys, I would live this way anyways. Because it's the best way of living right now. And into forever. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this parable of the mustard seed and the yeast. The parable of something small, something almost, I mean, nearly insignificant, turning into something huge, something large, something that can bless other people. And God, that's what you did with us. That's what you did with the church. You took something small, just a, a ragtag group of 12 disciples, and you turned it into something amazing. You turned it into something huge. You turned it into what we see here today. The kingdom, God, that you were that you oversee, that you're the king of, of people who are just trying to be faithful to you in everything that we do, God, knowing that we're not perfect, that we're going to mess up, we're going to make mistakes, we're going to fall short, yet you are quick to forgive, slow to get angry. God, we're so grateful that you are so gracious to us, that you're so loving to us, that you love us so much that you sent this Jesus to this earth to live and to die on our behalf. And we are so grateful, God, that he did. We're even more grateful that he came back to life three days later, giving us the hope of life everlasting with you, a hope that, can, that nothing on this earth can take from us, God. God, we love you, and we thank you for all that you do for us, and we pray all this in the powerful and healing name of your son, Jesus, all God's people said. Amen. Amen.